Good afternoon, Patriots. This is Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today I'll talk about the declining control COVID has on our lives, as well as a segment on vertical farms. All next on Living with Liberty. So what happened to the killer COVID variant narrative? It seems like that's all we heard about for a few weeks. The British variant, the South African variant, and the Brazilian variant, which I hear does a hell of a wax job. We even had about a week ago or so, the Center for Disturbed Clowns director, Rochelle Walensky, wringing her hands over the national average for uh, COVID deaths per day, creeping up to 700. While horrible, obviously we don't want any more deaths from from this virus. But perspective here, 700 a day uh, was where the levels were at through most of last summer and the early fall time period until we had the run-up in cases last November, uh, which carried through January. Also known in most other years, as flu season. So what happened to these big bad variants? The virus itself has, to a certain degree, stopped being an effective control mechanism of society. Yes, there are still a few fear mongers out there pumping up the narrative of this killer virus. There still are those who, even though we're over a year into this now and know a lot more now than we did then and know the risks and you know contagiousness of this virus you still have those that are masked up in their cars alone windows up in states with no mask mandates at all but by and large people are finally figuring out that for most healthy people this virus isn't a threat for most people that are not elderly this virus isn't a real threat. So they're starting to live life again. They're doing things like gathering with friends. They're gathering in uh, large groups. They're going out uh, in public, going to stores, going to sporting events if those are open, going to their kids' sporting events. And, you know, I think these bureaucrats that have been proven wrong time and time again hate that. They hate that their uh, narrative is falling apart and has been falling apart for many months. I think the the control freaks and in government trying to take over our lives hate that people are getting together and um, spreading ideas on things like liberty and freedom and how crappy of a job they're doing as elected officials. So since the threat of imminent death from a virus with a 99% survival rate isn't enough to keep people cowering in fear in their homes. The talking heads in the media and Big Pharma's marketing arm in the government are turning their attention to vaccines and vaccine passports as the next attempt at controlling the population. Get the vaccine and maybe you can have a barbecue on July 4th, President Biden says. If you want to return to college, you must get the COVID vaccine, administrators in 
the uh, California University System and at the University of Wisconsin in Madison have said. Even these pleas to get vaccinated are starting to fall on deaf ears as people evaluate the true need for this vaccine and what they're willing to take on as far as risk. And because of this, states are starting to close mass vaccination sites. The demand is falling. The rush to get vaccines appears to now be subsiding, as there are now those who either will wait and see what the side effects are on those who have signed up to complete the uh, clinical trial of these vaccines. And you also have those people out there who just won't ever take the vaccine, period. It's now down to the groups who are not susceptible to the virus, who are willing to roll the dice on staying healthy and not uh, catching this virus, versus pumping an experimental shot into their body with little recourse should things go wrong. It's groups like Gen Z and the millennials who are refusing to take the shot. I'll link a Zero Hedge article in the description box that, that kind of runs through this phenomenon we're seeing here and the, the data we're seeing in terms of uh, polling within the various groups on who's getting the vaccine still and who's not. Elected officials and bureaucrats are begging for people to get their jab. In my home state of Wisconsin, there's around 40% of people who have taken the jab either uh, with the first shot completed or both shots completed. But they are having a bit of trouble convincing the other 60% to join the, ra- uh, join the ranks of lab rat. Again, it's not a resistance per se. Uh, I don't think, you know, there's a lot of people who are opposed to all vaccines that they have the attitude that all vaccines are in general are bad. What I believe this is, is people are making an informed choice based on their research and tolerance for risk. They are making the call that getting the virus is less of a risk to them than dealing with immediate side effects of the vaccine, as well as the back of the mind, those unknown long-term side effects from taking the the COVID shot. Now, I did a show a while back, I think it was in December, where I cautioned against believing these polls of vaccine acceptance. Now, I believe it was a Gallup poll that I cited there, uh, and how I thought there was a clear manipulation of these polls as time went on. If you look at it, the initial polls started out as overwhelmingly uh, people uh, surveyed said they would not take the vaccine, which honestly is probably the only truthful poll of the bunch that they did. And the next one that came out a few months later showed a 50-50 split on those willing to take the vaccine versus those who wouldn't, which if you think about it was interesting because there was no real new information between the polls. And there was no other information in terms of what side effects are. Uh, So all of a sudden now it's a 50-50 split. just doesn't make sense. And then there was a poll taken just before the rollout of the vaccine. And magically, that poll showed a healthy majority of people in support of taking the vaccine. That poll was, and the subsequent polls that are out there now, 
remain a source of control. It's all part of the control mechanism of society to take this vaccine, to push them to take this vaccine. We still have a need to control uh, this to control society. These bureaucrats are thinking, so they're in cahoots with the the pollsters, with their media allies, to put out these fake polls. These polls are being used to manipulate people into dropping their rational thought, into dropping and questioning what their research has turned up on what is right for them in terms of taking this jab or not. But as we are seeing here in Wisconsin, the polls, the current polls out there, aren't bearing out to actual reality. So desperate are the control freaks in government to get more people jabbed, to get some more lab rats on this thing. Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett, who, by the way, his only accomplishments are losing to Scott Walker twice for governor and getting a trolley line set up in Milwaukee that encompasses a whole two blocks of downtown at a cost of, I think it was like $80 million, just an absolute waste. Those are his two claims to fame. Otherwise, Milwaukee's like every other big city with rising crime rates and uh, just general blight. He's at it again, trying to piss away taxpayer money to open up more community-based clinics to administer vaccines. He says, we are trying to bring shots to the people. Well, if people wanted them, they would find a way to go get them, Tom. This is a classic Democrat move, thinking that people aren't capable of figuring out how to get something they want. We are going to tell you what you need. We are going to tell you that what's good for you is the Democrat mentality here. And because of that, we're going to piss away more taxpayer money to open up vaccination clinics closer to the people. Hell, maybe we'll put one down at the end of your block. Uh, You look at this. Pharmacies are giving them, at least in Wisconsin anyway, and if you look at it, there seemingly is a Walgreens or a CVS within walking distance of just about anyone in in a city. Uh, There seems to be one of these things every other corner at times. You know, and I'm guessing that if a person really wanted to get jabbed, they could have wandered down to the local Walgreens or CVS and got poked. No need to open more clinics. People are smart. They'll figure it out. They know where to go and get their shots if they want them, Tom Barrett. Since this is about control, though, and resistance is building in terms of people taking the shot, the calls for vaccine passports will only grow louder. And they'll only grow louder in an attempt to shame those who don't want to use their bodies as a lab experiment into getting the shot. We got a two-pronged approach here on in terms of uh, trying to get people to take this vaccine. Now, we have a number of states that have stood up and are headed this disaster off. And they've passed legislation outlawing these vaccine passports. That's absolutely outstanding. These would vaccine passports would only further exacerbate the division within this country not to mention violate people's rights to move, a, move about it freely. 
The more we stop waiting for permission to enjoy our freedom and liberty, the more we just start doing stuff and taking it back and saying, I'm going to walk around. I'm going to go here without a mask. I'm going to go to this park. I don't care what you lying bureaucrats and government officials say. The less control those bureaucrats and elected officials have over our lives. Now, I've got a bit of an interesting story to finish up with here. It's a piece on vertical farming. So you may be asking yourself, what is vertical farming? It's a system of growing crops in stacked layers with things like artificial lights replacing sunlight and temperature and humidity controls. And they can be set up in dedicated buildings, old shipping containers, even old mine shafts. What this thing is being touted as is a solution to environmental concerns. You know, things like um, soil erosion, using excess water, pesticides, you know, both on the plants, on the ground, and blowing in the wind, those sorts of things. Um, Diesel tractors, uh, you know, at harvest time and planting time and everything in between. Now, though, as usual, the greenies aren't thinking things through on this one. While these crops would be protected from pests, eliminating the need for pesticides and other chemicals that go along with, you know, large scale, call it industrial farming. And the need for water would be greatly reduced because you're not spraying it all over the place. It's more targeted and uh, to that, you know, individual plant versus, uh, you know, irrigating and with big sprinklers or whatever, spraying it all over and losing a bunch to the wind uh, through misting and things like that. You have things like the whole matter of getting sunlight or sunlight equivalent to these plants in order to have the photosynthesis occur for them to grow and produce, you know, vegetables, fruit, grain, whatever the case may be, as well as keeping that growing unit at temperature, whatever box you put this thing, you know, these crops in to grow. What? It really is, is in essence, a trade-off of environmental impacts. You're trading the excess watering, the pesticide application, and diesel emissions from farm equipment for the emissions from power plants to supply the electricity for the growing lights and for whatever fuel is burned for heating the building or growing unit, especially in those uh, areas with colder climates, because this is something you could do year-round, you'd still have to contru- con- uh, temperature control these things, even you know whether it's hot, cold, whatever. So um, those are things that the trade-offs that don't get thought about when you have uh, this, call it a light bulb. I use that in, in air quotes there, a light bulb moment of, oh, why don't we just grow our crops in buildings on, you know, vertical on shelves, basically. And, you know, we eliminate all this environmental impact. Ah, uh, not really. You look at the other thing here, too, that isn't thought of. And that's the whole topic of just overall environmental degradation from either building new buildings to uh, have a vertical farm in, or placing a bunch of old shipping containers somewhere to start growing crops. These are other things that that aren't thought about when 
these ideas come about. And then you look at it too. There's also a big cost component here. As starting a new building from scratch for a vertical farm could cost upwards of $100 million. And now that's a, a fresh, uh, you know, greenfield type project there. Obviously, if you're doing shipping containers, it's probably less. But, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, we're going to build a new building to do this thing. Now, of course, since the greenies have only been conditioned to think about fossil fuels and pesticides as being really bad, there's no thought to the other impacts on the environment or what the actual setup to get going on a vertical farm would entail from, you know, resource consumption and, an, and really an environmental consumption standpoint. Now, even Cornell University called this thing, this vertical farming, a pie-in-the-sky proposition, estimating in a 2014 study that to produce a single loaf of bread from a vertical farm the cost of that loaf of bread would be $27. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not into paying $27 for a loaf of bread. This doesn't seem like a very sustainable model to me for feeding the people of the world. Vertical farms would have a tough time scaling up to meet the food demands of the population, I believe. So we keep... Uh, growing in population. I don't know how you put up enough buildings or put set up enough, call it shipping container farms or find enough mine shafts to start growing this stuff in. Not to mention then, you know, the more you need, uh, the more of those things you need, the more resources you're consuming to fire up the power plants and everything else to, to uh, run the lights and and temperature controls and everything else in these buildings to, that plants need to grow. I don't see it being as efficient as, you know, the great outdoors. So, uh, you know, a hard time here, I think, scaling up. And the other thing here is you would need a massive increase in manual labor to do the harvest. I, there's We have all kinds of things like combines and everything else that that pick the crops now. Uh, yeah, there's still some that are heavily involved with manual labor, but you take things like wheat and everything, uh, corn and some of those other crops and take them inside and put them on shelves. Uh, well, how are you going to pick those in an efficient manner now? That's probably why that uh, loaf of bread would cost 27 bucks. Uh, you, you'd have to basically pick all that wheat off the shelves by hand. Now, I'm sure you know, at some point someone would come up with a way to, to mechanize the harvest of a vertical farm. You know, I think we have a history as a society of uh, being uh, kind of entrepreneur, entrepreneurial in that respect and, and, you know, having a, a you know, good uh, engineering uh, mindset to tackle those types of problems. But, it still, you know, it still wouldn't be as a, you know, as efficient right off the bat. You would need also a whole lot more space, like I said, environmental degradation to put these buildings up, to put these shipping containers on in order to grow enough food. Uh, we already hear about, you know, how ugly the wind farms are and the solar, um, 
the solar panel farms are for electricity and how much space they take up and how there's come uh, uh, municipalities that push back on getting uh, having windmills put up to to power their homes. We don't want them here. Imagine now exacerbating that by putting up buildings in old shipping containers for farms. Now, but when you have a, a group of people, a, a group that, that's been conditioned to think only on one track, only on that track of fossil, anything fossil fuel is bad, anything uh, pesticide is bad, you end up with these types of short-sighted ideas. Since there's really no capability, no other thought, considering the different scenarios and trade-offs that need to be made for something like this to uh, even take place on a large scale. Now, maybe those things do get figured out, and we can do this in a way that doesn't result in $27 loaves of bread. But in this case, I'm not going to hold my breath on that happening. That's my show for today. Thank you for joining me. If you would be so kind, please check out my website livingwithlibertypodcast.com. I have my latest blog post up there, as well as a few new resources under the resources tab. I'd be very appreciative if you left a positive review and subscribed to my show. It helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. You can do that by subscribing to my show as well as signing up for notifications. Follow me on social media. My main account is on Parlor. I am at Living with Liberty. I am also on MeWe. Just search for Living with Liberty. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time. <laughs>